0: Hey, Tim. Don, hello. Can you believe it? Five episodes.
1: And season one.
0: That's incredible.
1: It is. When we started, remember, we said, we don't even know what we're doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we are for our fifth episode and the last episode of season one.
1: Which means that we're implying there will be a season There's
0: two. There's got to be a season There's 2 got to be. be. We only started scratching the surface of stories here right and um man what a way to finish finish this first season
1: right right Um,
0: it's a little bit different though than than the other episodes we've done
1: well actually everything's been kind of different that's true you know just for our listeners here we don't curate anything (laughs) we're not that smart (laughs) none of this
0: is no you know what is intentional about it though is We're really not trying to shape the stories of the people that come. We really want to hear just their story and we want to hear how they met Jesus.
1: And sometimes when you hear us asking questions, it's the first time we've heard (laughs) what they're about to
0: say. Yeah. Which, you know, is interesting because you kind of brace yourself a little bit because you're guessing what's the answer going to be like, what's next? And, and then you hear these incredible stories that even though they're very different, they intertwine and they Mm -hmm. intersect because of the person
1: in Jesus that they're meeting. What has surprised you the most about these, Tim?
0: You know, I I did not expect to hear from people who had lived on the streets, who had lived in really challenging life experiences. And um, so I've been so encouraged to know that God is present in so many people's lives, especially people who just never really had a spiritual background growing Mm -hmm. up. You know, Mm -hmm. there is this active living God who is pursuing so many different kinds of people. How about you? What have, what's been interesting to you? You
1: know, I was raised in a, in a tradition where coming to Jesus was this transaction. Make Mm -hmm. your decision for Jesus and then you're in, Yeah. right? Yeah. And... Mm. What I think hearing each of these stories has really helped me to recognize is that we're all on a journey mm-hmm. and that God continually works and refines and it's never, I'm in, all is good. I'm on the the, the enlightened side. It's a constant journey. And I think mm-hmm. our next guest is really representative of that. When we listened to this next guest, it wasn't a transaction. In fact, the transactional part of it eluded her in many ways. And I think the other thing that sort of struck me about every single one of these stories is that nobody has this journey in isolation. It's always in community. It's always other people.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, let's just
1: hop to it then. Yeah, yeah.
0: Let's do it. This has been a great season so far. I can't wait
1: for season two. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. Enjoy.
2: Pretty typical 1950s blue-collar neighborhood, a very loving home. We weren't wealthy, but we were loved mm-hmm. and cared for. When he asked me that question, are you a Christian, and I burst into tears, and I said, I don't know. When I joined the Bible study, I felt like I was being bathed in love that God said, you want to know me? (laughs) This is who I am. I am all of this love for you. And so I was telling him some of these things that I was learning about God. And he said to Dolores at the time, he says, I think I need to learn more about who this new best friend of my wife is.
0: Welcome back to Creekside Conversations. Today, we are so blessed to have one of our very own Creeksiders joining us and sharing her story of faith and her life with God. It's Luann Clark.
1: Yeah. Welcome. Welcome, Luann. Welcome. Thank you.
2: It's lovely to be here.
1: So we're going to do a little bit of a background for just to let people know who Luann is. Luann has been part of Creekside for how many years? Ten. Ten years. She's been part of my wife Patty's Bible study, and when we were talking about people we should bring in, Patty said, you've got to talk to Luann. So just before we were recording this, we had dinner, and we got to hear a little bit more of Luann's story, which helps give us some context of what sort of things to ask her. The thing I think that struck us as we've been recording this, is how different everyone's story is, but the consistent themes about how God just surprises us in the way that he shows up and the way that he invites us into his kingdom. Yeah,
0: Luann, you're from Portland. Yes. Okay, and tell us just a little bit about your childhood and your early life growing up here in the Northwest.
2: Right. It was pretty typical 1950s. America, blue collar neighborhood. My dad was a construction worker. My mom mostly stayed at home. She had some part time jobs. I had three brothers, which made life really lively and noisy in a small home. But I had the blessing of my maternal grandparents, who were Swedish immigrants, who lived uh, right next door. And that was my refuge in times of too much brotherly chaos. And so
0: you didn't add to the chaos?
2: I, I was a pretty quiet child. Mm. I didn't I didn't create a lot of trouble.
0: So I was busy you, yeah.
2: playing with my dolls while my brothers were having boxing matches. Oh,
0: there you go. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Your brothers didn't mind being in trouble though, is what you're saying.
2: <laughs> we all live through having them grounded. And then when all their friends would come over because they were grounded, and it made my mother's life even more hectic.
1: So so for those who don't, who may be listening to this that don't know about Portland, Portland is an old seaport town, city in Oregon, and it's right on the Willamette and Columbia River. <clears throat> and I don't know if you knew this, that it was founded by two sea captains, one from Boston and one from Portland, and they drew straws.
2: No, they flipped the coin.
1: They they rolled the dice, so to speak. And it could have been Boston, Oregon. A yeah. coin. Could it have, a it, coin. It yeah. could
0: have been called Boston,
1: Oregon. It could have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. I love that stuff.
2: <laughs> the neighborhoods were safe. We had a wonderful park a block from my home where I spent the summers where they had programs for kids. Mm-hmm. And we walked to the stores, we walked to the library, walked to the movies. It just was it was a great place to grow up. And I did come from a very loving home. I knew we weren't wealthy, but we were loved mm-hmm. and cared for.
1: So tell us a little bit about your upbringing from a religious or spiritual perspective. Yeah.
2: Yes, neither of my parents went to church on any kind of a regular basis. My dad was brought up in this more strict Baptist home, and he was glad to leave when he left home. And my mom... I think, was just tired (laughs) on Sundays. (laughs) But we did. We we went off to Sunday school, off and on throughout our childhood. My older brothers dropped out before my younger brother and I did, but the Methodist church that we attended had a church bell, and I loved hearing that on Sunday mornings Mm -hmm. and heading Mm -hmm. off that direction. and. Once in a while, they'd let a kid ring the bell, so that was fun. And mm. my Swedish grandpa attended church every Sunday. He was a devout Lutheran, but my grandma didn't go with him, and I didn't even think to ask why not when mm. they were with us. Mm. But my friends were about the same.
0: So you would go to Sunday school, and then you started going to confirmation, is that right, as you got older?
2: Yes, some friends attended the local congregational church, mm. and I'm not quite sure exactly how I got there, but... Remember, they had a younger pastor, and he formed the confirmation class. And it was it was all girls, yeah. And we were in about the eighth grade uh, or freshman year of high school through that time. Mm. He had told us that he would call each of us in individually and just, I think, to confirm where our beliefs were before we went through the confirmation ceremony it, during a church service on Sunday and I was really nervous about it because I loved what we were learning in confirmation but I just I didn't have any feeling of that I was positively a Christian. Mm-hmm. And when he asked me that question, are you a Christian? And I burst into tears and I said, "I don't know." And he very kindly confirmed what I believed, and he said, "I think that you are." And <laughs> <laughs> it, so, it's, it's have all be, right. I bestowed you, this
1: upon you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: I think you're okay. We did finish up confirmation, and but I didn't feel a real personal connection with, with God. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you graduate middle school or eighth grade or whatever, and then you go off to high school. Yes. And. You're a freshman, and something pretty important
2: happens. (laughs) Yes, or or
0: someone pretty important happens.
2: Yes, just at the end of my freshman year, I began dating my future husband, unbeknownst to me at that point. But he was pretty cute, and (laughs) (laughs) he had a real thing for me.
1: So (laughs) there you go. He liked quiet, smart. People that followed the rules. That's right. Yeah. That's pretty good.
2: Uh, so, so, what was his name? His name was Paul Clark. Paul Clark. And we had typical teenage romance. There were a couple tiffs, but by the end of high school, we were still very committed to each other.
0: So, you dated all throughout high school? Yes. And that's pretty amazing. And so, then you went to college? Yes. Okay. Went
2: to college. I went, I. Had a scholarship to Portland State, and Paul decided to go to a junior college that was also in downtown Portland. But just very quickly found that he really didn't know what he was there for and was anxious to kind of <laughs> go for some independence. And so he quit and got a job, and I continued in school and and continued dating and he very much wanted to get married. And uh,
0: how did your parents feel about that?
2: Oh I my mother was not thrilled. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Even though she had known him for so long.
2: It wasn't the person, it was the timing. Ah uh, okay. That's very young. Sure. But we became engaged in my sophomore year and oh. and just started planning a wedding for summer. And my dad finally said to my mom, I said, I think you just let him go.
0: And how old were you? You were like 20 or so?
2: The day we got married, I was 20 plus three days.
0: Wow. <laughs> how And Paul was the same age?
2: He was he was older than me. He was like 20 plus seven months.
0: Okay. okay. So he had <laughs> a little Huge. bit more wisdom. And Huge age right right Yes, Yes. <laughs> I it was an older man. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So you got married at 20. We did. And and you were still in school.
2: I was still in school. Paul had gotten a job and managed to buy a car. And we, I think we told you we found a lovely, really nice one-bedroom apartment for $69 a month. $69 uh,
0: a month in Portland. In Portland. Mm.
2: In a nice neighborhood close to where he worked. And I took the bus to Portland State and continued and did get my degree, as Paul promised my mother I would.
0: So throughout this time, you had been in confirmation, and were you very active in a church, like through high school and college? or
2: Yes. In college, I became more active at the Methodist church I had attended Sunday school classes at and helped in the children's education in the kindergarten class, and eventually, and I Became a member of the church, and at that time I had never been baptized, so I was baptized the Sunday I became a member, and um, and I, I guess we I had always felt so happy when I attended church, and over the years I never attended regularly, but whenever I did, I just knew I was in the right place. But I still didn't have a good relationship, or any relationship, personal relationship, with the Lord. I really didn't know what one was. I didn't hear people talking about it. I just knew that I wasn't solid with God. And I had hoped that when I got baptized that there was going to be some indication of there would be some difference, that I would just know better and that just didn't happen.
1: But it, you somehow knew that there was something that could be had but you didn't have it. Is that true?
2: I think there was an assurance I felt I should have and could have oh. because mm. I could see it in other people, but I I couldn't put it I couldn't have put a name on it at that time. Mm.
1: So going through confirmation and learning about the principles and agreeing to those mm-hmm. and then going through the sacrament or ordinance of baptism, depending on what you call it, all these things, still, it was this elusiveness. It didn't change you inside in any way.
2: No. And I also wasn't really ready to make a bigger commitment of what maybe it required to. I was busy with school. I was busy with Paul. Then we was busy with the marriage. And it seemed like What a huge burden to go to church every Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: Did you get a sense that more would be required of you in order to have a deeper fulfillment of that longing?
2: Yes, yes. A commitment from to give up the things I didn't feel like I wanted Mm. to give up right then. Mm. I remember saying, God, just please wait for me. I'm just not ready yet.
0: And the baptism was part of that membership process too, right? Yes. So you're, right, Luann, the rule-following <laughs> wonder, and which, by the way, I have a high respect for rule followers. My wife is a rule follower, and I deeply appreciate that about her because I need someone to keep me going in the right direction all the time. She's like my, besides the Holy Spirit, she's my moral compass, mm-hmm. and that membership process included baptism. And you thought, I better do this if I'm going to be a member. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Now, did you continue at that Methodist church after you got baptized and you were married and all these things?
2: We were married in that church, but then our new apartment (laughs) was in a different part of the city. So it wasn't in the neighborhood anymore. Mm. And we were newlyweds. So we attended infrequently. Yeah, Um, what
0: newlyweds don't have time for church, right? That's right. And you just gotta live your life. You gotta do your thing.
2: Yeah. No, we we were not regular attenders at all.
0: So Paul is working, and you're finishing up school. Yes. And then, kind of, what happens next?
2: Then after I graduated, I got a job in an office and worked a couple years, and he worked up a little bit, and in his profession and then we decided to start a family and and we were able because at that time on a small salary we were able to purchase a home one month after our first child was born we were able to move into it
1: that's amazing
0: and you can do that today. You just have to live in the middle of nowhere, live <laughs> even far in- away from an airport and from a hospital, and all those right? Yes. <laughs> On a desert island. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Yes, and actually, it was in a very nice part of Portland.
0: That's yeah. so cool. Okay, yeah. so you find a house, yes, and did. tell us about this first home that you and Paul and your one-month-old daughter <laughs> move into.
2: It was a nice suburb home and we friendly neighbors. The day before us, we were trying to do some cleanup and things at the house, looked out the back window and saw a neighbor as either a teenage girl or a mom. We weren't quite sure. <laughs> She'd been mowing the lawn and was wearing shorts and combat boots and had three little children with her. And climbed over the fence and knocked on our door and gave us a bag of chocolate chip cookies and welcomed us to that neighborhood. And I was just struck by how drawn I was to this woman and how I just knew right away that we could be friends.
1: And what was her name?
2: Her name was Dolores Jarvis.
1: Wow. Was it the combat boots that you liked? (laughs) It was was Portland. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I know. (laughs) You know,
2: my mother-in-law was with me, and she looked out the window, and she was alarmist a bit, and she was, oh my gosh, there's all these kids crawling over the fence.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that included Dolores. It wasn't just the little ones. You couldn't tell which were the kids and which were the parents. Right.
2: Yes. And that was a major point in God's grace in our lives, Mm -hmm. was meeting Dolores Jarvis.
0: That's really cool.
2: Not long after meeting her, she said, well, if you're not going to church, I can invite you to a really good one, which was West Hills Covenant Church. I had never heard of a covenant before, and we had found the little Methodist church in that neighborhood and started plugging in. Our children were baptized there. And so it, in my heart, I was holding up the hand that said, no, we're fine we have a church. And if you have a really <laughs> charismatic kind mm-hmm. of religion, just, I'm not, I'm fine without
0: that. Sure. You didn't, you weren't ready to be recruited into uh, Dolores's church. And right. The local cult. The local <laughs> cult. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Why would you do that? Yeah. yeah. So even <laughs> though you started becoming friends, you weren't going to church with her or anything like that?
2: No. But, her relationship with Jesus was so vibrant that you couldn't know her for very long without hearing, in a very natural way, some of the things he was doing in her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Dolores completely introduced me to what a relationship with Jesus looked like.
0: So you were telling us about, she was married.
2: She was married, and her husband, Jack, was a policeman and it was just one of the those unique situations where Paul and Jack really got along together had great time liked each other Dolores and I liked each other and <laughs> it was just a dream neighbor that you could ever hope to have
0: so you grew up with your grandparents right behind you and then when you moved into your first home you had this best friend right behind you too. So your grandpa, right, was a strong Christian. And so it was like God had placed these really important people literally in your backyard.
2: That's true.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Very
2: true. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that until you just brought that up. Yes. Our backyard, backyards, the backyards were pretty important in our life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Mm. that's cool. Mm. So yeah. you and Paul and Jack, Jack and Dolores, you're all friends and spending time together, your kids play together, that kind of thing.
2: Yes. And we did, I will mention that Jack did not share Dolores' strong faith. He did not attend church with her.
1: Sure. But <laughs> another curve comes in.
2: Yes. About five years after we had moved there, Jack suffered from melanoma, mm-hmm. and it had he had let it go too long. Busy with his police career, and when he finally had surgery on his back for this malignant growth, it was melanoma, and it had very quickly spread to his brain. And about eight months later, he died of a brain tumor.
1: How old were his kids?
2: The oldest at five and six. About 11 was mm. the oldest, and mm. five was the youngest. Jack was... He was not a believer, he'd been raised Catholic, but the police chaplain did call on him in the hospital and and talk to him. And Jack had anger issues. And he told the chaplain that he was just tired of carrying around this bag of hate and anger and and was led to Christ with to the police chaplain.
1: Wow. Wow.
2: Yes. And and Dolores found this out. So it was God's grace to her before Jack died. Yeah. Wow.
0: So Jack passes away. And at this point, you and Dolores are very close friends.
2: Yes, we are.
0: Okay. So how did she do in all of that?
2: Uh, I'm sure it
0: was very difficult.
2: It was, oh, we wept together. Yes. But I also saw how her church family came around her and how Jesus just provided for her and the children. They had planned to put an addition on their home and had the architect had drawn up their dream, mm-hmm. and, but Jack died before they were able to finance it and get it going. And after his death, his police friends and people from church worked together, and they put a wonderful addition on her little two bedroom house that had have our four children in it. Yeah. It was just it was just amazing to see that happen and hear all the stories that made it happen and be part of the Saturday work parties over there. It was like a big party every weekend for yeah.
0: <laughs> until
2: that got built. Wow. And uh, any intervention that, or any gift you could see that was obviously God at work. I was hearing about. I was I was pointed to the attention. Mm -hmm. That's who was responsible. So
0: Dolores was giving glory to God throughout all of this while always. While at the same time still grieving the loss of her husband.
2: She was very strong. I appreciated her strength. I perhaps didn't appreciate the grief and the, mm. just the pain that was mm. associated with it. Mm. Although we were grieving the loss of a dear friend mm. too. Yeah. yeah.
0: So. And I'm sure watching the kids doing the parenting thing all together in, in that time, it's a pretty beautiful picture of what it means to have community around you.
2: Yes. And Dolores had three girls and a boy. And what was really nice was how men from the church stepped in to father that boy,
1: wow! Mm. also
2: to give him good boy experiences and to see a man with integrity working Mm. with him.
0: So throughout that process, you got to see God's grace, as you mentioned earlier, God's grace up close and personal. Yes. And this had been, you had been friends for about five years, and so you're seeing God do these incredible things. So what was happening? in your heart, spiritually, during that time?
2: In my heart, it was, I think there was a little bit of envy going on, Mm. to be truthful. It was finally, I know it was just one night in bed after Paul had fallen asleep, and I was thinking about her and all that was happening, and I just said to God, I said, I just want a relationship with you like that, and I will do whatever it takes. To have that, I was finally ready to say, whatever you need from me, God, Hmm. I will do to know you like that.
0: Wow. Wow. And how old were you at that point?
2: I was 30.
0: Wow. Okay. So you had done confirmation and you had gotten baptized and you got married. You were a church member at that point. You had done all these things. And yet it wasn't until you were 30 that you made this declaration, God, I want to have this relationship with you.
2: Right, yeah. There it was a plea. Mm. I just want to know you like that. Right. Wow. I read something recently that when you open the door to God, you find out that he's thrown it open to you. you know? mm-hmm. And it was just like that. I. It began with a neighborhood Bible study that Dolores had been attending and I had been ignoring. And this wonderful woman just invited neighbors into her home. It was the church she belonged to believed in neighborhood evangelism. And she was just, she was a really good teacher. And so there I was with other women in her lovely home every week. And when I joined the Bible study, they were studying the first, second, and third John. And if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you would, I You would know why I felt like I was being bathed in love, that God said, you want to know me? (laughs) This is who I am. I am all of this love for you. And Yolanda was the teacher's name, and she was Italian descent and had beautiful, deep brown eyes. And I remember looking at her face and just feeling like that God was looking at me right through her eyes and just pulling me in with Mm -hmm. just hugs, just know me, this is who I am. I am this someone who is just loving you. Mm-hmm. Mm. And and then, of course, I would have to share that with my husband because we did have a wonderful marriage and we talked about everything with each other. And mm-hmm. so I was telling him some of these things that I was learning about God. And we decided to start attending Dolores' scary church, (laughs) West Hills Covenant. And he said to Dolores at the time, he says, I think I need to learn more about who this new best friend of my wife is. And he wanted to learn about Jesus, too. And so we started attending West Hills, and we're invited to a couple's evening Bible study at the home of the two— co-pastors, which couldn't have been a better situation for beginning our a real depth into the Bible and Mm. finding out who Jesus was and how this relationship with him.
0: So Paul became a Christian too then?
2: Yes, he did.
1: Wow. Wow. Okay. What was that like for him? What was his sort of experience? He's not here to tell us, so you'll have to do the best you can.
2: (laughs) (laughs) When you're not a Christian, you're carrying all this load by yourself. And I think both of us felt this relief that there was someone there to help you carry the load. And so I think it made his work life easier Mm -hmm. and our home life better. Our marriage was always a partnership. Yes, we were a partnership, but there there was this, where the buck stopped was with Paul. It wasn't with me. And it wasn't like little manipulations that you might have to keep this partnership equal or... Maybe to push your own way. I was it just made our marriage more relaxed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I love that. I think he appreciated.
0: it. <laughs> so life settled into a groove. There. It
2: did. We we worked became more involved in the church. Paul was a trustee, and then he was the treasurer, and I was involved in Christian Ed with kids. Various levels, and our children were involved. Our kids went through youth group with the great youth pastor, and life was good.
0: You had you know? were you still friends with Dolores throughout this oh whole time? Oh my gosh,
2: she is yes, she is my mentor, my yeah, and my she was my rally girl. It was so fun to know her. I didn't have anybody who was more. Pleased with any progress I made or anything (laughs) I was involved in. And she was with like this with other people. She was just a people magnet. She was Mm. a people person and she just, you couldn't help but love her. And yes, she was my sounding board Mm. and my, yeah, encourager to step out and try new things. Mm. And
0: I wonder what would happen if somebody had told you, Paul, Dolores, and Jack what was right around the corner when you first met. Uh. To imagine, hey, you're going to go through this next to impossible experience. And yet out of that, so much life will bloom and blossom. Mm. And could God have done the same thing if Jack had lived? Of course. But to hear the story of these two friends and all of the good things that came out of that, close, tight-knit friendship. That's pretty special.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It was. It doesn't happen but once in a life, I think.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So your kids are growing up in the church, and you and Paul are have your leadership positions, and you get to do that with your friends, and it's just going well. And then what happens next?
2: One um, was my discovery of women ministry. Dolores had asked, even after I joined West Hills, I didn't participate in everything. I'd never gone to a women's retreat. It was just like, oh, I just couldn't leave the family for a weekend. There's the expense and our budget was always never overflowing, put it that way. And so she'd invited, she tried again. She said, why don't you come to the retreat with us? And I said, oh, I just it, just can't make it, sorry. And then a few days later, she said, she says, what if you could come to retreat for free? She says, one of our women can't go, and she wants to give away her place. And I thought, oh, maybe Jesus really wants me to go to retreat. Mm. That was my introduction to Covenant Beach, and it was like opening a whole new world.
0: Mm.
2: Oh, my gosh. I learned that I could be a Mary instead of a
0: Martha. Oh.
2: I just went that weekend and just soaked up everything. Wow. (laughs) It was just, I had never been away from my family like that, ever. Wow, Wow. okay. And thank God, when I came home, (laughs) Paul understood that it had been like a life-changing thing for me. And when it came time around for the next retreat and the next retreat and the next retreat, there was never any problem. They actually got along quite fine without me for the weekend. <laughs> Probably had more fun without me. Yeah.
0: Or at least and, that's uh, what they told you.
2: Yeah. So I just want to stick that in. That that was a uh, real awakening for me.
1: Okay. How did that change what you saw up mm. until that point in your life yeah. as you're calling?
2: At that point, I didn't see it. I was just it was just a huge blessing and and I always appreciated when we had women things at church and women's I ended up going to women's Bible studies on my own at West Hills and not just I didn't stay at the neighborhood one forever. Mm. I felt called to plug in more of the west hills but 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 I didn't know what was in my future. Mm-hmm. I just knew I really liked what the women ministries opportunities that it gave for us to have a special time away from everything and be Mary's
0: for a weekend. And and by that, you're just talking about the biblical story, right? Where Jesus (laughs) is teaching at one of his friends' houses, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the siblings. And Martha is busy hosting the party, (laughs) and Mary is sitting listening to Jesus. And Martha pleads with Jesus and says, hey, tell Mary to stop. Listening and start helping me. And Jesus says, "Mary made the right choice, yeah, yeah,
2: yes. And I tend to be just I'm a natural Martha,
0: yeah, oh. nothing wrong with that. You
2: go and sit and listen to that person. I'm going to make dinner for you and oh. yeah,
0: I yeah, I do a lot of standing around and talking. So I think I'm a lot more Mary than Martha <laughs> myself. I have a hard time getting stuff done yeah. sometimes, so okay yeah.
1: it's easier to be a Martha when you like to check the box
2: yeah
0: and when so, you hate checking boxes <laughs> it's way easier to be a mary yeah right? so you have to marry and someone balls? to make you check the boxes. yeah exactly. yes this is the deal
2: yeah yeah i like to see progress so
0: was paul the same way was he very? was he yes let's get stuff done kind yes, of guy okay definitely that's yeah. why
1: you got along so well yeah probably yeah you yeah. probably got a lot done you understood but. each other that's cool <laughs>
2: It was a miracle. So that was
1: one big thing. You said that there was, were two You said Yeah, there were two then big-
2: we left West Hills as part of a planter group. There were about five families from West Hills left to plant a Covenant Church in Tigard, and that was a big change in our lives mm-hmm. where we could be, yeah. You, <laughs> I was thinking how I could hide in the Sunday school and Paul could, hide behind treasury books and things and not have to step out too boldly. Mm-hmm. But when there are fam- families starting a church, you have to open up and... and yeah, uh,
0: that's a big commitment. Yeah. So you and Paul went to help plant this church, and did Dolores go too, or did she stay at West Hills?
2: She stayed at West Hills.
0: Wow, yeah.
2: okay. Yeah.
0: So you. But were, that was you... good
2: because I always got to keep... Keep hearing about West Hills, yeah, and I always had someone who wanted to hear what was going on at Tiger.
1: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. so cool! Mm-hmm. Wow, so was that a faith building experience for you?
2: Yeah, a faith stretching, faith stretching, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. One funny we the first time we met as church to have. A service we met it was called perky's tax service and he offered to let us use his basement where he gave accounting or tax classes for free and so we all sat at tables
0: <laughs> this was your church service that was church what was we it called
2: church perky's tax service i like it perky's Tax. come service.
0: to tiger covenant church meeting in the basement of perky's, perky's tax, tax, tax service. service
2: yes and sunday school was in the hall
0: Wow, no way. <laughs>
2: Sitting on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and when we finally were able to buy property and build the church, mm. it happened to be right across the street, across yeah. Highway 99 through Portland, across the street. From Perky's Tax Service.
0: Wow! I, like I it. Wow. felt
2: like we had been the Israelites wandering around, and ninety nine was the Jordan yeah. when we crossed, crossed over. You crossed,
0: you crossed ninety nine. <laughs> you entered the Promised Land. Wow! Oh my gosh! It was
2: many years later. How? Uh,
0: I'm sure you you moved on from Perky's pretty quickly as the church yes. was growing and oh, stuff We like spent that.
2: quite a few years in the Odd Fellows Hall.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. You can't
0: write that. turkeys <laughs> to <And> Oddfellows. <Oddfellas>. <laughs> oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah.
2: And yeah. yet we survived. <laughs> yeah, so
0: the church must have grown quite a bit then in order yes, to... Yes, it yeah, that's over cool. the years. So you got to be a part of that.
2: It was exciting. Yeah, yeah.
0: that's really cool. Yeah, and then in
2: 1999, Paul was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, mm-hmm. and it had already spread to his liver, and so he was diagnosed in beginning of June, and he died in October.
0: Oh my! Oh my goodness! Wow!
2: And what? Just before he was diagnosed, the month before he was diagnosed, we had decided to leave that home that was backyard to Dolores. It was a tri level. So I had a lot of stairs, and we saw the problems our parents had as they came to visit, and we just decided that we would buy our retirement home, Mm. and it was like about 15 minutes away from where we had been living, and it was a single-level nice home, Mm. and it was just the month after we moved there that Paul was diagnosed.
1: Mm. Wow. Um, What was that like for you? It was
2: devastating.
0: Yeah, I'm (laughs) Um, sure.
2: Yeah, it was It was just like a nightmare. It was just like, this can't be happening. But the day after he was diagnosed, we had this little custom in our family when, because we didn't know how to pray with our kids, it was awkward. And Paul said, we need to start praying as a family. One of the little crutches we used was that we bought a little, it looked like a little loaf of bread and it was full of all these cards of promises from Scripture Mm. we're in. It's called the promise box. And we would pull one of those out before dinner and then say a little grace. It just Mm. helped. And the kids all took turns. It was a fun little thing. That's a good idea. Yeah. We just stayed with it when the nest was empty. Mm -hmm. And so the day after Paul was diagnosed, the card I pulled out before dinner, it said, my grace is sufficient for you. And I just thought, <laughs> I, I wasn't great at memorizing scripture. I didn't start it as a child. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I can remember that many words. I, I'm just going to hang on to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, about a week later, we are in bed. It was a night, and I had a bad dream. And I had the kind where it was just stupid, somebody was trying to break into the house or something, and I started screaming for help, so that, <clears throat> and I did this, I had those kind of dreams, where I am up making a lot of noise in my sleep, and Paul reached over and patted me and woke me up, and he says, it's okay, mm. it's a dream, I said. So then I was awake, and just in so much pain from what we were going through, and I said to God, I said, Who's going to tell me it's okay? And then he just, not out loud, but he just spoke to me. He said, My grace is sufficient for you.
1: Mm.
2: Do you believe it? And it was like, If I can't believe it now, mm. I might as well not believe it at all. And so I just, Yes, I will believe it. Wow. And and that helped. (laughs) (laughs) I would still just go into panic inside panic attacks of just thinking what we were going through, how we were gonna do this, how am I gonna live without him?
0: How old were you at the time, if you don't mind me asking? 57. Okay, yeah. We were both fifty-seven. Yeah. Yeah, and you had done most of since you were what, like thirteen or four or fourteen or fifteen? 14, yeah, yeah. So fourteen <laughs> to fifty-seven, you had lived your entire adult life, right? With him, adolescent and adult life.
2: And so I remember just, I, Paul looked at me. He says, "You've just got to quit crying." But one night, I was, I was just, I was waiting for the bathtub to fill up. And I was just crying in the bathroom, and I just finally said, God, I just put Paul in your hands because there's nothing I can do. You've got to take this pain and just carry it for me. And then the panic stopped, and we were able to get through those final days. Mm. It just went so fast, and, and he hated, absolutely hated hospitals. Mm. So he did hospice at home. And and when I look back at it, I think that the rapidity of the whole process was also grace to Paul because he mm-hmm. was so uncomfortable with medical stuff. Yeah. It,
1: so it's I, been 20-something years. Yes. Wow.
2: I'll tell you one other part. A friend asked me, well, how are you doing? And I said, I want to be honest, I said, my heart is breaking but it is well with my soul Mm. because we were okay with God. We had been blessed with such a good life. We weren't angry at him. We were just so sad. Mm. And with his grace, these conversations I'd had with him, it was okay with my soul.
0: Wow. Mm. So you and Paul walked so closely together through life. But what's pretty amazing about that is that you also together walked so closely with Jesus and that's a real gift, I think. And so to hear that you walked in through that stage of life together and death, right. is just incredible. What Mm -hmm. an incredible Mm -hmm. witness Mm -hmm. that you have to have seen this. I also can't help, but think about Jack and Dolores that early in your marriage, you saw this happen.
1: Yes. So Luann, earlier in your conversation, you talked about the young pastor who asked you if you were a Christian and he said, you didn't know. And so I'm wondering, um, as your story has moved on. You've had all of these experiences. Was there a point in time or was there some moment when you said, oh, this was when I knew that I was a, a true follower of Jesus, that I was a Christian.
2: So I was sitting down at lunch one day and had a some kind of Christian publication that I was reading. Can't remember what it was. Don't know what it was about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But something in it um just triggered this it's like a punch in the gut. It was like oh This wonderful new friend I had, I was personally responsible for this whole pile of every stupid, thoughtless sin I had ever committed and was likely to commit in the future, had, had been present with him in all the pain that he suffered on the cross that day. Mm. And it was like you know like the pulse or scales fell from my eyes, and just this arrow pierced my heart i I just wept that mm. I was responsible, not just the speck in the universe, that I was responsible for all the pain that he suffered that day on the cross, not all of it, but i I had a a personal relational part of it mm. And that's when I knew that I was Christian. You know, I wept at the beginning when I was 13 because I didn't know. And then in in my 30s, I wept because I did know and I knew what it took for me to be a Christian.
1: Oh, wow. That's profound.
2: So he just brought this kind of full circle.
1: How did that change the way you approached him in when you talked to him?
2: Oh, well, that day I was so so sorry, Mm. and I was so so thankful, Mm. Mm. and it just it does it permeates my thankfulness.
1: Mm. Mm. So fifty years later. (laughs) <laughs> at <Yes>. eighty, <laughs> at eighty, you know, as the old saying, the facts are the same, but the perspective changes. What's your perspective on that now at eighty? Now that you've you've been walking this walk for fifty years, how do you perceive that through your eyes now? Any differently?
2: No, it still strikes my heart. Mm. That's
1: so cool.
0: How did you end up at Creekside?
2: Oh, uh, my granddaughters lived in Bothell and I lived in Portland. <laughs> And and after I retired, I worked for about 20 years at a private Jewish school in their office. Really? Yeah. Loved it. That's That's so
0: random. You were the Christian lady at the Jewish school. Is this kind of how that worked? That's so fun.
2: Yes. It was. For a person who is not an evangelist, it was, <laughs> it was a perfect place. Yeah. <laughs> but I felt a huge responsibility as a Christian, and they knew I was a Christian yeah. when they hired me, yeah. that if I was the only face of Jesus they would ever see, that it better be a good one.
0: Man, that's great. <laughs> that's cool.
2: And that was my work ethic and my just... I loved being there. Mm. They were so full to be with.
1: Can you imagine if every one of us every day, when we go to work, Mm. said, if the people I'm working with, if I'm the only face of Jesus they ever see, it better be a good one. (laughs) That's like a quotable quote.
0: Yeah, that is. Okay. But I do want to hear a little bit more about what is God speaking into you?
2: The message I keep getting is why I'm still in women ministries kind of thing is, he hasn't told me not to. Mm. He hasn't allowed someone to fill my place and let me out the door. Mm-hmm. And and I'm just hearing that I'm supposed to keep on keeping on mm. because God keeps on keeping on.
1: <laughs> Never lets go.
2: And I just hope that I can do it with grace and make an exit that doesn't have a lot of whining in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Luann, thank you so much for meeting with us. Patty,
0: John's wife, had shared that she said, you, you have to have Luann on the podcast because the way you phrased it, supposedly at some point somewhere, was that you were loved into the kingdom. Yes. And hearing her story, that theme of love is just so persistent. The love between your grandparents and your parents and your family, the love that you had with your, with Paul and that lifelong relationship, the Dolores in your backyard. Yeah. Just all of the love that you have for your grandkids and moving up here to be close to them, your love for the people that you meet every day. What an honor it is to hear your story. And thank you for sharing it with us and thank you for sharing it with Creekside it means a lot
2: you're very welcome Mm. thank you for wanting to hear it